Hey, if you got your Bible this morning, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And I want to bring you a message today called Fellowship, Friendship, and Family. Fellowship, Friendship, and Family. And before we get into the Word, let's just pray this morning and invite God to speak to us, all right? Father, we thank you so much for your Word. We thank you that as your people, we get to be a part of your church. We lean into this moment and we open our hearts, recognizing that you want to change our hearts. You want to change our minds. You want to renew us, Father, and make us into the people you're calling us to be. And I pray that during this message today, you would use not my words, but your word to do that, to accomplish that in our lives and make us into the church that you're calling us to be as well. God, we're excited that your word has the ability to change us, and that's why we're here today. So I pray that you would come and do what only you can do and make us into your people, drawn closer to you and transformed into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. You know, I think that God has given us many, many gifts in our walk with him that help us and encourage us along the journey. And many of the gifts that God gives us are things that will help us draw near to him, but they're also gifts that are given to us to mold us and to shape us into the people he's calling us to be. And just to give you some really quick, obvious examples of gifts that God gives to us that help us grow and become not just better Christians, but more mature Christians. Some obvious ones very quickly. I think the greatest gift we could all agree that God has given us is his son, Jesus. What an amazing gift. If you look at what Jesus did for us on the cross, we find forgiveness and atonement for our sins through his death. And through his resurrection, we are raised back to life through Christ if we choose to put our faith in him. So I have salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life because of Jesus. I would say that's a pretty cool gift. Anybody agree? But not only that, another amazing gift that God has given us is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now think about this for a moment. I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but we put our faith in Christ as Christians. The very definition of Christian is follower of Christ. But how do you follow someone you've never seen? It's amazing that here we are in the 21st century with the gift of the Holy Spirit at work and active in our lives. And the Holy Spirit does so many things. Jesus says, it's good that I go so that the Helper can come. The promise of the Holy Spirit can come. He will lead you into all truth. And we also know that the Holy Spirit is described as the helper or the comforter also. So he illuminates faith in our life. He brings about truth in our life to where we're able to distinguish what is fact and what is fiction, what is truth according to God's will and God's plan and his character. So the Holy Spirit is with us, active, available to us every day of our life, even though you and I have never seen Jesus with our own two eyes. That's pretty cool. What an amazing gift that God has given us in the Holy Spirit. But what about the Word of God? The Word of God is an amazing gift that God's given us because it's not just a history book, it's not just a moral code of conduct, and it's not just a roadmap for our lives. It is all of that. But it's the story of God's interaction with His creation, humanity, you and I, from beginning up until the day and age in which we live. What a really cool gift God has given us because through that story, we find our place in God's plan. But not only that, but we get to see the character and the nature of God revealed through his word. So I don't know about you, but I would say that the word of God is one of the greatest gifts that he's given us. We have it at our disposal every single day of our lives. So we have these amazing gifts given to us, but I think one of the greatest gifts that we have is something that's very obvious. It's right in front of us, and so often we take it for granted. And that's the people of God, relationships that God wants to bring into our lives. Sometimes we take for granted the people that God has made available to us that he wants to use to grow us and wants to use us to grow them. 
Another one of the great gifts God has given us is you and I, each other, community. As Paul called it in Galatians 6, it's the household of faith. Because we're of a similar family, the same family, the family of God, and we belong to a household of faith where if we will take advantage of the relationships that God has placed in our lives, we can grow in our faith. We can grow in our walk with God, but also grow into the people that God is calling us to be. Now, there's a specific word that talks about the relationships that we find within the household of faith, and I want to talk for this for just a few moments about this word, and it's the first word that we see in the title of the message today. Let's take a moment and talk about fellowship. Fellowship shows up for the very first time in the New Testament in the passage that we're about to read in Acts chapter 2. And I want to read this to you because how many of you remember the game telephone that you played when you were a kid? Where someone would take a word and they would whisper it in somebody's ear and they would whisper that word, hopefully, into somebody else's ear after that. And by the time that word made its way around the circle, what we discovered was that it was something totally different. And what we got in the end was not what we started with in the beginning. I think sometimes fellowship is that to us as Christians, especially to people like me that have been in church a long time. I've heard the word fellowship my whole life, being in church. Now, maybe that word is new to you unless you're a fan of Lord of the Rings. (laughs) And that might be the only context that you've ever heard that word used in, but hang with me for a minute because the English actually gets this one pretty good. We'll talk about that in a second here. But this word fellowship shows up for the first time in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2, and we see what an incredibly valuable word and principle it is at work in the lives of the early church believers. So, Again, we, we read from Acts 2 a couple, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about baptisms, but I want to read from the same passage in Acts 2 again and talk about what the early church believers did to continue growing in their faith. So the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens. Peter gives the explanation. He gives them the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection. 3,000 people are added to the kingdom, and look what it says happens next with the growth and the birth of the early church. Acts 2 and verse 40. And with many words, Peter testified and exhorted this crowd of people, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. In other words, 3,000 experienced salvation and most likely were baptized. Verse 42, love this. And they continued steadfastly. Some translations say, and they devoted themselves to four things. Watch this, four things. The apostles' doctrine fellowship, everybody say fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayer. Four things, but of those four things, there's one word that I want to pull out and talk about for a bit today, and that's the word fellowship. I want us to get a better understanding of what biblical fellowship really looks like, and let's talk about this for a bit. Now, hang with me if you're like me, a traditionally churched Christian, and you've heard a lot of talk about this, because it's important that we understand exactly what this means and why it is that we should still be participating in it to this day. Fellowship. We see that word there, and you might ask the question, well, what does that really mean? What does the word fellowship mean? I love to talk about the Greek side of this in the original writings, and we'll get there in a minute, but I think that the English actually gets this really good. And here's what I mean by this. If you take the word fellowship and flip it around, the easiest way to understand what fellowship is, is fellowship is the relationship of fellow believers. It's just that simple. Relationship of fellow believers. And why that is so uh, important, and I want to put emphasis on it this morning, is oftentimes we take the word fellowship and we'll apply it to something that it doesn't really apply to. 
Fellowship is something that is found between two parties who have a common purpose or a common belief. That's the very definition of that English word fellowship. In other words, you can't have true biblical fellowship with somebody who isn't pursuing the same purpose that you are. Let that sink in for a minute. Now, I want to establish this theme really quick and talk about this because some people are going to hear that and you're going to say, Zach's saying that I can't have non-Christian friends. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus was called the friend of sinners. Jesus was reaching out to non-believing people all the time. And I don't think there's anything wrong with you having friends that are non-believers as well. But Jesus was God, and his feet were firmly planted in the kingdom of God. And in all of those interactions, he wasn't trying to get pulled off of his path. He was trying to pull other people onto his path. And as Christians, we got to be really clear on that with our feet firmly planted in the kingdom of God. But the very English definition of the word fellowship is the relationship of fellow believers or fellow purpose-minded people. Can we all agree this morning that we should all be of the same purpose of following Christ with everything we have? If we can understand that here, we can enter into fellowship here as common believers. So that's the English definition of this word. But here's what I want to show you because there's a great balance here. If you look at the Greek word for fellowship, it's a word that many of you might be familiar with. It's the word koinonia or koinonia. And this is the Greek definition of that word. Joint participation. The share which one has in anything, a gift jointly contributed, a collection, a contribution. In other words, koinonia, by its very definition, is the joint exchange participation of I have something to give to you and you have something to give to me. But here's the thing. That word in the Greek and in the English is not a verb, it's a noun. And the reason that's important is because for a lot of us, if you grew up in church the way that I did, we would define fellowship as I said hi to a few people in the foyer after church before I went to lunch. (laughs) Hey, 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 how's it going? Hey, you that I know on Sundays only, how you doing? And back in the day, we would come to church dressed to the nines and we would say, my brother, sister so-and-so, how you doing? We'd put on that good Christianese and we would look our very best, even though we only exchanged a few words on Sundays. And sometimes we still kind of treat fellowship that way. We treat it like it's a simple action that we do after church before we make our way out the door. But in fact, it's a noun. It's a thing. A noun is a what? Person, place, thing, or idea. So in understanding what that is, we need to know that when we become Christians, there are other fellow believers that God is wanting us to enter into fellowship with because it becomes a part of our very identity. And I think some of you might have heard me say this before, but I love this thought. We are not human doings, we are human beings. And our doing should flow out of our being. And that's the point of fellowship. We are commonly believing Christians. We hold some purpose in common. And out of our being, we are doing what we are exchanging, what we have, giving of ourselves to others. As you give to me, I give to you. And within the framework of fellowship, the church grows. We become everything we can be. Why? Because all of our gifts and our talents and our abilities are at use. They're active and they're at work in the context of the community, the household of faith. I hope everybody's tracking with me this morning because we're going somewhere with this today. But these two definitions, the English and the Greek, really help us to understand what fellowship really is. And let me say this again. In context, fellowship is the joint participation of people with common purpose, not people who have nothing in common. If it's going to be called fellowship, it means that we're all walking in the same direction. And I believe that's why the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, What fellowship does righteousness have with lawlessness? 
He says they can have interaction, but true fellowship? Uh Uh-uh. True fellowship, but we're pursuing the same purpose? No. That's not what really, what truly fellowship was meant to be. So let me ask you a couple of questions before we move forward with the message today. Number one, take an inventory of your own life for just a moment. The gifts that God has given you, the talents that you possess, the things that you are able to do, the things that you can contribute within the community and the household of faith. And ask yourself this question. What do I have to offer others that will add value to their lives? Can I tell you something? If you can't even think of it really quickly, I can promise you there's a whole lot that God has given you that you can give to others that will add value to their lives within the household of faith. You have something to give. We're not just here to receive, right? We have something to give. God has given us gifts that he wants us to distribute, especially within the household of faith. Here's a second question. What am I missing in my life that might be found within the community of faith? If I take that inventory of my life, of the things that I have and the things that I don't and the things that are missing, and if I see that there's missing pieces in my life, is there anything that's missing within my life that might be found within the household or the community of faith? Can I tell you that when God calls you into the community of faith and you become a part of his family, there are things missing in your life that he wants to add to your life through other people. So in other words, don't miss out on the opportunity to enter into fellowship. It's a part of our identity as Christians. Not just something we do, it's who we are. And out of our being comes our doing. You know, I asked you those two questions, and I just want to give you a quick example of this, of how I've seen this work. Because we have Connect Group Expo today after service, and we'll be talking more about that here in just a little bit. But I have an amazing wife. How many husbands are like, man, i got a good wife, I'm really lucky. You're not clapping, you're just raising your hands. Come on, husbands, how many of you are thankful for your wife? Well, I am, okay, because I'm like punching above my weight class here, okay? But one of the most fruitful ministries in our church is our Bridge Women Connect Groups. And they have been an absolute blessing to our church. But I've watched my wife's Connect Group over the last months, and I'm just blown away at the relationships that have been built and formed. And here's why. Because a lot of those girls have come in, those ladies, those girls have come into her group. And I remember some, t- some nights, you know, before I go upstairs with the kids and the dog, when they would first arrive, and there was people that, like, I, we didn't know very well yet. Maybe didn't know at all. Had never met, seen their face, anything. And you know how it is when you meet somebody first, for the first time? It can be awkward. And sometimes people are apprehensive to step into this fellowship that's available. But I have watched over these last few months as like people took a step of faith the first week just to come and walk through a new experience and how it led to the second week and suddenly these other conversations began to form and somebody had something that they could give to somebody else that they desperately needed and that person could give something to somebody else that they desperately needed. And over the next few months, these girls would walk in the door shouting at each other and giving big hugs every time somebody showed up and they celebrated the reality of a new person coming week after week. And I want to tell you something, that is what fellowship is right there. That is true fellowship. We have common purpose, common faith, and we choose to take our place in this fellowship to step into everything that God has for our lives. Now, I want to take this a step further and move into the next portion of the message, and I want to talk about friendship. Because what I see is that fellowship within the household of faith, if we will take our place, fellowship is like this gateway that walks us into the deeper things that God wants to do in and through our lives. Fellowship is a gateway. I almost said gateway drug, but that's weird. But Gateway walks you into deeper things that God wants to bring into your life. Fellowship. Now, 
let's move forward and let's talk for a moment about friendship. Because how many know that sometimes there are perfect friendships and sometimes there's imperfect friendships? But friendships nonetheless. If you look at the life of one of the most influential people in all of the Bible, this dude went through some real ups and downs in his relationships, and that's the Apostle Paul. And I want to walk through a pattern of things that happen in Paul's life that I think can really encourage us because Paul was a real guy. He made real mistakes, but he did some really great things for the kingdom of God. And I want to look at a little pattern that kind of unfolds and develops in his life for just a couple minutes because I think that we'll be able to identify this or identify with this. Paul was shaped by many of his relationships. And God put people in his life not just to strengthen him in his calling, but to really shape the man that he would become over the years. Now, before we read from this first passage that I'm going to look at, I imagine in my heart, and the Bible doesn't say this, this is me talking, okay? I imagine in my heart that Paul was one of these people that was so passionate in everything that he did that sometimes he just rubbed people the wrong way. Like, how many of you have a friend? Like, I love them, and they're my friend, but you just rub everybody the wrong way. We've all had friends like that. If you don't have a friend like that, you're it. <laughs> but Paul was one of those people. He was so passionate about everything that he was not afraid to speak his mind. He was not afraid to kind of draw that line between black and white and say, here's where I'm at on this. And if you don't like it, that's your problem. <laughs> Paul was pretty passionate about some things, and I think some people probably saw him as a bit of a prickly character at times because he wasn't afraid to just stand his ground on issues. Now, look at Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, Paul has had his Damascus Road experience. He's been saved. He's walked through this encounter with Jesus where he sees a bright light. It basically knocks him down. There's scales over his eyes. He goes to be discipled. The scales have come off, and probably a number of years later, comes back to Jerusalem which is the hub, which is like the starting point of where the church is breaking out. And he wants to step into ministry alongside the other disciples. And look what happens. Acts chapter 9. And when Saul, now called Paul, had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him. Why? Because Paul used to be the guy that helped to kill Christians. The first time we see him in the New Testament, he's literally holding the jackets of guys who are stoning they're taking rocks and killing one of the early church apostles, a man named Stephen. And so we see that Paul is a guy that scared everybody. When he comes back to Jerusalem, he wants to join in. And they're like, whoa, we don't know about this guy. They were afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, watch what happens with Barnabas. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to Paul or to Saul, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. So they have this rough idea of who Paul is. They're all worried about him. They don't want to let him in. He can't join in on this work, but somebody stands up for Paul, and it's this man named Barnabas. And look what happens. Verse 29, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, talking about Paul, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. And here's the picture that you got to see. Paul comes in. Everybody's afraid. Barnabas says, no, 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 no. God's doing something in this guy's life. God's doing something. There's something of significance that's still in front of him, even though everybody's afraid of him. So Barnabas stands up. He says, look, God's changed his life. Jesus spoke to him. He started to step out and preach Jesus. Now he's so bold that the Hellenists are trying to kill him because he's preaching Jesus. And what do they do? 
They go to Paul, they take him safely, escort him away, and send him away to do ministry somewhere else, looking out for his best interests. The point I want to make here is that these guys were afraid of Paul early on, but Paul had an advocate, and it was this man named Barnabas. If you know your Bible very well, sometimes the phrase we'll use when we talk about Paul's partners and his missionary journeys is we'll say, Paul and Barnabas. But perhaps the more accurate way of saying this would be Barnabas and Paul. Because before Paul arrives on the scene, Barnabas is a reputable, trusted apostle there in Jerusalem. And they trust this man. And when Paul arrives, he goes to bat for Paul. He says, don't be afraid of him. Jesus is doing a work in his life. And you need to be his advocate as well. And he goes out and he preaches boldly to the point that it appears as though Barnabas has changed all of their minds and they go out of their way to grab Paul, bring him to safety, rescue him, and send him in a different direction so that he can pursue the ministry that God has for his life. And what I see here is that Barnabas was a friend to Paul when Paul had no other friends. And Barnabas was Paul's advocate, seeing him not for who he was or where he had been, But Barnabas saw Paul for who he could become. And with that said, I want to ask you a couple of questions today. Has there ever been a time in your life where someone was a friend or an advocate to you when you had no other friends? I know there's been people like that in my life. When I couldn't talk to anybody, when I couldn't trust anybody, when nobody else believed in me, someone came along and said, I want to be your friend. I'll be your advocate. And the second question is, If someone has done that for me, would I be willing to do the same thing for someone else? I remember when I first started getting really involved in pursuing ministry, I had moved to Orange County and I wanted to join a connect group. And all of the friends that I had made immediately in my church, this was in the summer of 2006. They all knew each other, they were all very close, but rather than grouping together, they all spread out and started their own connect groups. Rather than just being comfortable with their own friends, everybody started, started different connect groups. And so I was at church on a Sunday night, and this guy walked up to me that I'd never met before. And he says, hey, man, how's it going? He introduced himself to me, told me his name. I told him mine. He says, you should come to my connect group. It's this Tuesday night. It was at a coffee shop in Costa Mesa. I still lived in Corona. And one night, I was going to have to fight traffic to get out there, but I, got, I left as quick as I could to get out there. And I was driving out there, and I was going to be late. And I was like, oh, this is going to be awkward. It's going to be a little bit embarrassing. I'm going to roll up late. Everybody's going to already be there. I don't know everybody. Do they already know each other? How's this going to go? And I got there, and the guy that invited me to his connect group that night kept texting me that night and just saying, hey, are you coming out tonight? And I said, yeah, man, I'm on my way. I'm just running late. And when I got there, he was waiting outside of the coffee shop just to invite me in. And I didn't know that night that I was going to walk into Kean Coffee that night in Costa Mesa and meet some of the best friends that I have in my life to this day. And it was all because one person chose to be a friend to me and be an advocate just to make sure to go out of his way to include me and invite me into his connect group. A couple of weeks ago, I went to see another one of my friends who lives in South Orange County. And we're hanging out, and we know each other from that church that we were a part of. And I said, I never asked you this. I said, but how did you end up coming to the church. And when he told me who invited him, it was the same guy that waited outside that coffee shop for me that night. Today, that guy and his wife are pastoring a church in Atlanta, Georgia. And they're making friends. They're friendly people. They're friends to others. And they're advocates for the people who might feel like they don't have any friends. Everybody needs an advocate and a friend in your life, especially when you don't have anybody else. 
And if someone's done that for you, why wouldn't you do that for somebody else, right? Now, we see Barnabas being Paul's advocate, but let's move on because here's what's crazy about this. After this scene, Paul goes one way, Barnabas goes another, and Paul and Barnabas don't see each other for six years. Six years go by that they do not see each other. Maybe there's been correspondence via letters, but they haven't seen each other face-to-face in six years until we get to Acts chapter 15. Now watch what happens because they're going to set out on a ministry journey. And here's what's really interesting. Verse 36, then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit the brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Verse 37, now Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark. This is Barnabas' cousin, who we know as John Mark. This is the guy who gave us the book of Mark. But look what Paul has to say. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. When it says that he had departed from them, other translations say that Paul didn't want to take John Mark because he had deserted them previously when they were together. Now, there's a bit of an argument that ensues here, and suddenly there's a disagreement that's taken place. Verse 39, then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Now, the short version, the condensed version of this is that suddenly, because of this disagreement over a guy named John Mark, Paul didn't want to bring John Mark, but Barnabas, he's the mercy guy. He's the advocate. He wants to bring everybody along. Paul says, no, last time he was with us, he deserted us. I don't want to bring him along. So what do they do? They part ways. They go two different directions. And the scripture literally says that they had a sharp, contentious conversation, and they choose to part ways. Now, the point I want to pull out here is that Barnabas' ministry from this point on isn't mentioned again in the book of Acts. And that doesn't mean he didn't go on to do significant things. In fact, he did, and Paul mentions him later on and talks about the great work that Barnabas did and the great partner that he had become. But here's the point I want to make to you. We talked about how fellowship is where we have common purpose and common faith. I think sometimes we mistakenly think that Christian friendship is always going to be perfect and that we're never going to have any conflict. And I think sometimes we look at the idea of making new friends and allowing fellowship to turn into friendship within the the household of faith, the community of faith, and we're like, but yeah, but what if we got into an argument? What if there was a disagreement? What if we didn't see things eye to eye? What if those people are a little bit different than me? And what we see happen here is that two people who loved one another, one man who was an advocate for the other, had a sharp disagreement, and it caused them to part ways. Here's the thing that's funny, though, is that later on we do see that Paul and Barnabas loved each other, and this didn't ruin their friendship. They just chose to go in different directions. And I think the thing we need to understand is that within the context of Christian friendship, we might have disagreements, but that doesn't mean we have to be disagreeable. We don't want our relationships or our friendships to be defined by our differences or be defined by our disagreements. But when we see things differently, it's up to us to not blast each other, but to lovingly just say, you know, we don't see things eye to eye, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we're going to continue to go along and get along because everything's okay. We might agree on this small thing, but in the big picture, we're all a part of the household of faith. And we have to understand that. Now watch this. In Proverbs, there's two passages I want to refer to very quickly. Proverbs 27, 17, you know this so well. 
As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We hear that and we're like, bless God, iron sharpens iron. So when I hang out with my friends, I just get stronger in the Lord. (laughs) Do you know what happens when iron collides with iron? Sparks fly. And within the context of Christian friendship, sometimes we get uneasy when we disagree with somebody or somebody's different than us or their personality rubs us the wrong way. And so what we sometimes do is we walk away from the fellowship because it becomes a little bit uncomfortable. But what if God wants to bring some people who are different than you into your life to sharpen the person he's creating you to be? Like I said, some of the things that are in Scripture, like we just talk about them like they're easy things. Count it all joy, brother, when you go through trials and difficult circumstances. Iron sharpening iron isn't always a comfortable thing. It's loud. Sparks fly. Friction comes off. But in the end, you become sharper. I become sharper. Why? Because God wants to bring different people together to grow us into the people he's calling us to be. And we need to submit to that process. It starts at fellowship, and it oftentimes turns into closer friendship. Proverbs 27.6, earlier in the same passage, I love this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know what this is saying? This is saying that a true friend is going to tell you the truth even if it hurts. Because it's going to grow you into the person that God is calling you to be. And if I'm unwilling to take the wounds of a friend, then I'm probably settling for the kisses of people who really don't care about my destiny. If God has brought people into your life and it's a little bit challenging, maybe that's a part of his plan, even if it makes you uncomfortable. If there are people who have a personality that's different than yours, they're wired differently than you, that doesn't mean they're bad people. God created them in his image just like he created you. Maybe he wants to use them to, shape, to sharpen you and make you into the person he's calling you to be. Not only that, he wants to use you to make them into the people he's calling them to be as well. But we have to be willing to submit to that process. Now, in wrapping this part of Paul's life, here's what's so interesting. You go from here, you see Paul has an advocate. Then he has this confrontation with Barnabas, and they go separate ways. And I wonder if there was anything in Paul's heart that was like, man, I don't like the way that ended. That guy stood up for me. When I didn't have any friends, he was my friend. He was my advocate. He advocated for me to step into ministry. You fast forward to the end of the New Testament, and there's this little book at the end of the New Testament. It's the book of Philemon, or Philemon, however you like to pronounce it. And without reading the whole story, what we see here is that Philemon is one of the leaders in the Colossian church. And he has slaves or servants, people that work within his household. And there's a man named Onesimus who works for Philemon, and he runs away from Philemon's house. He steals from Philemon for his own gain. And then after he's done this, he encounters the apostle Paul. He comes to a saving faith in Christ. He begins to walk with Christ. And Paul even expresses that he has deep affection for for this guy Onesimus because he sees that he's growing in his faith. But a funny thing happens because the entire letter, the entire book of Philemon is Paul reaching back to Philemon and saying, I've got this guy here named Onesimus. You know, the guy that left your house. He stole from you and ran off on his own. Man, he's growing in his faith, and God is doing an amazing work in his life. And I'm writing you this letter because I'm about to send Onesimus back to you to make things right. 
And when he gets there, I don't want you to treat him like a slave. I want you to treat him like another son of God. Welcome him into the household of faith and treat him like a brother in the Lord. And when you read through this passage of scripture, I find myself wondering what happened between the time that he had that that contentious conversation with Barnabas and the time that he's writing this letter to Philemon. I wonder if he looked back over his shoulder and said, I remember when I was the guy who needed the advocate. And he's writing this letter on behalf of Onesimus to be his advocate to Philemon. And the picture that you see here is of a guy who once needed an advocate is now being an advocate and his life has come full circle. Why? Because God is using the relationships in his life to mold him and shape him into the person that is calling him to be. In fact, we even see later on in 2 Timothy that when Paul talks about Uh, John Mark, he looks back and he says, I'm reaching the end of my life. I know that my journey is just about over when it comes to my ministry. But I need some help here where I'm at right now. So would you send to me John Mark because he's useful in the ministry? Over time, that guy, John Mark, went on to prove himself. And at the end of Paul's life, he's saying, you know what? I was wrong about John Mark. He's grown in the Lord. He's become something that's useful to the ministry. And I would love it if he would come and visit me because I could sure use his help. Look at the way God uses these relationships to grow and mold and shape Paul. Is it possible that God wants to bring relationships into your life to grow you, to mold you, and to shape you into who he's calling you to be? So here's my questions about friendship. Are there difficult relationships in my life that I need to reconcile? Are there people of the household of faith that you've had some difficulty with They've rubbed you the wrong way. You've rubbed them the wrong way. And you've parted ways. But maybe it's time to reconcile those relationships. Why? Because God might want to use it to grow you, mold you, and shape you. But not only that, if God didn't give up on me, why would I give up on someone else? My wife's really good about correcting me on this one. She says, don't give up on that person. I know you disagree. And I know that that thing happened. But don't give up on them because God's doing something in their life. It's good to have a good wife. Finally, in closing this morning, family. Fellowship is the gateway that leads to deeper friendship and eventually family. We all have natural families, families of origin that we're born into. I'm one of the lucky ones. I have family that didn't just love me and take care of me, but walked me into God's plans and purposes for my life. I'm so thankful for that. Maybe you're here today and your story is similar to mine. You've had amazing family of origin that's helped you grow and really pushed you and kind of directed you toward a path of pursuing God's plan for your life. But maybe that's not the case. Maybe when it comes to your walk with God, you didn't have a family of origin that pointed you in that direction. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says some really interesting things here. He says in verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. In other words, he's saying, I've helped to be a spiritual father to all of you Corinthians. In verse 16, he says, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Choose to go and be a spiritual father to the spiritual orphans that are all around you. And finally, verse 17, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, 
who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So he says, you have not spiritual fathers, so imitate me and go and be spiritual mothers and fathers to the spiritual orphans in your church and in your community. And he says, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you Timothy. And I love that picture because if you go back and you read 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, we see something in, in, in you, Timothy. It was first given through your grandmother Lois. We saw the spiritual depth and this calling on her life, this great faith that was in her. And then through your mother Eunice, he says in 2 Timothy 1. And that same faith is now identified in you. What's interesting about this is Timothy's father is never mentioned in Scripture. It's his grandmother and mother. And I think most Bible scholars kind of believe that the reason for this is because his father was Greek and his mother and grandmother were Jewish. They were Hebrew. And so they passed on Hebrew faith to Timothy. We don't know what role his father played in his life spiritually, but one thing we do know is that later on, the Apostle Paul identifies Timothy as a spiritual son. And it's important that we understand that because you might feel like a spiritual orphan who's trying to figure out how to navigate your path all by yourself. Can I tell you something? When you choose to enter into the fellowship that is the household of faith, God wants to bring friends into your life, but not just that. He wants to walk you into a spiritual family. He wants to bring spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers into your life to help you grow, to help nurture you, to help comfort you, to be a place of refuge that you can go when you have questions, when you have needs, or you need help. And all of that is supposed to be available within the household of faith. And Paul says, you have not fathers, so do what? Imitate me. Go be, in, go be spiritual mothers and fathers to the people in your community. See, God wants to walk us in not only to spiritual faith-filled friendship, but through fellowship, God also wants to walk us into spiritual faith-filled family as well. One of the pictures that we see when Jesus goes to the cross, he had friends, his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John. They knew Jesus in a way that everybody else didn't. They were there on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is transfigured before them and Moses and Elijah appear. They see it. They see it with their own eyes. The voice of the Father speaks and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. They knew Jesus in a friendly way that nobody else did. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody about what you've seen. Kept it between them. They were there with Jesus when Jesus kicked everybody out of the house. After everybody was doubting his miracle working power, he walks in and he heals. He raises to life the little girl whose father had walked the great distance to see her be raised back to life. And he brings in who? Peter, James, and John, his closest friends. Then the day comes that Jesus hangs on the cross. And as he's hanging there on the cross, he looks down and sees that everybody in his life had deserted him. All of his disciples were gone except for one. And it was John. And John is right there and he recognizes, I'm about to leave my mother. And at this point, when he's hanging on the cross, he puts the two of them together and says, you are now family, mother and son, son and mother. And the scripture says that from that point on, Jesus' mother Mary lived with the apostle John. They became spiritual family. I know some people will hear that story and you say, so what you're saying is, if I get into fellowship in the church, I'm going to have to take in somebody into my house. Probably not. But you might get to build family that you didn't have otherwise. Because when we come into fellowship, it's a gateway that leads to 
friendship that often becomes spiritual family. I want to tell you something today, church. God wants to bring people into your life that won't just help you grow closer to him. They will help you become everything that God has called you to be. But we have to choose to submit to that process. Take our place in the fellowship of the believers. Allow God to bring friends into our life that will grow with us, that we grow with them. And watch as we become a spiritual family that God knits together according to his purposes. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Father, I thank you for this body of believers that's here today. I thank you that you have knit me with them and them with me. You've knit us together. You have called us into place. Your word declares that we are fitted together. And I thank you that we get to be a part of your spiritual family. But not only that, I thank you that we can do life as a family and that you bring great friendship into our lives as well. But God, I pray for every person that's here today that hasn't taken their place in the fellowship of the household of faith. It's not about checking a box. It's not about showing up to a church activity. It's about taking my place and interacting with my spiritual family. I pray that you would help people to take their place within that fellowship, within that being that would become our identity. And as a result, our doing would be we give what we have to others as they give what they have to us and we grow together in faith. Encourage people today. Help them take that step of faith, even if they're uncomfortable doing it, so that they can find the people you're calling to place around them and be everything you're calling them to be. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, just for one more moment, maybe here today and the idea of being a part of the family of God seems so foreign to you because you've never stepped into that relationship yourself. I want to tell you that Jesus loved you. God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, the Son of God, to come and die on a cross and pay a price that we could not afford to pay for the forgiveness of our sins. If you've never made a decision to invite Christ into your life, I want to tell you today that he died for the opportunity to know you. All we have to do is put our faith in him. The simplest way to do it is just through prayer, a belief in our heart and a confession with our mouth that Jesus has died for our sins, that God raised him back to life so that we could have new life as well. If you want to make a decision today for the first time, the second time, the tenth time, to enter back into that relationship, I want to tell you there's a loving Heavenly Father who's happy to accept you into his family. He just wants to walk with you all the days of your life into eternity. We're going to pray a prayer right now. I just want to ask everybody to pray with me. And I just want to ask that you would repeat these words after me. Mean it with everything inside of you. And step into a partnership, a journey, a relationship of faith. Repeat these words and say, Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross for me. I believe that your death was full payment for my sin. And I believe that you were raised again and conquered death so that I could have new life. So today, I put my faith in you, my hope in you, and my trust in you. I will walk with you all the days of my life into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you made that decision today, we want to help you start your journey of faith. We'll be concluding here in just a couple of moments, but hang tight because this is a very, very important moment in our service. Just out of consideration for those who made that decision, we want to help you start your journey of faith. We have a free gift. It's a simple book called The Next Seven Days that we would love to give you. Just put it in your hand when service is over. We'll have prayer teams down here on the floor along these side walls. Just walk up to one of our prayer teams and let them know you made a decision to follow Jesus. You want to get that book, we'll give it to you. We don't need anything from you. 
We just want to help. If you are here today and you need prayer, that's why our prayer teams are here. Just walk up to them and let them know you want someone to pray with you, and that's what they will do. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, just stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors before you exit the building, and let them know you made a decision. You want to get the book, and we'll give it to you. We just want to help you get started walking out this journey of faith and your relationship with God. So well done. Congratulations. Can we just put our hands together and welcome people into God's family? Hey, can we give a hand to Pastor Zach for that message? I can testify to to Pastor Zach and Ashley for being those kind of people who fellowship, friendship, and family. And I want to say thank you to all of you because you are embodying that. And I want to encourage you to continue to embody that and love on people. Hey, we're coming to that time of our service where we are going to worship the Lord through our giving. I just want to draw your attention to a few ways that you can do that. You can give that online. You can give that through our church app. Uh, We also have some uh, giving stations on the back doors and out in the lobby as well that you can drop a physical gift there. And if you're really old school and you want to mail it in, you can do that as well. We want to say thank you for being such incredible, faithful, generous people. And we have a faithful, generous God. So thank you for participating with us in that. Hey, we have an incredible expo for you out here in our lobby, and we are so excited that you get to come meet our leaders today. Listen, I know sometimes it can be a little bit intimidating to walk up to somebody, maybe you don't know them, but it's okay. All you got to do is say hi, and they're going to say hi back, and you can start a conversation. You can ask them, hey, what's your group about? What day are you meeting? Um, You can go out there also if you're going for a bridge women group. They have some uh, resources for sale out there uh, that you can get involved and plugged in. The best way that you can sign up for any of our groups is going to our church app. And if you will go on to our homepage on our church app, you can sign up for bridge women groups there. You can sign up for connect groups. You can see all the different types of groups. We have all kinds of different groups that you can sign up for, meeting in different locations and times throughout the week. But I would encourage you, don't miss this opportunity. This is the best opportunity for you to know others and be known. So if you wouldn't mind, would you stand to your feet? Thank you so much for being here today. We want to dismiss you and we want to encourage you. Go take a minute. Go find a group that works for you and your family. God bless.